Yeah, no, it, it absolutely, absolutely conscious choice. And the fact that we share our PL with every employee in the business is if you're trying to explain to somebody why you're making a decision you're making and you're doing it in the context of them not being fully aware of the information that you're making that decision on, then that is very, very difficult. People tend to think their boss is madder than they actually are. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Mike Lord, chairman and CEO of Stilts Home Lifts, a fast-growing privately held business whose mission is to democratize home lifts. Mike describes how, as they've grown, they've changed the way they develop, communicate, and cascade their strategy. He shares with us how they started with a purpose that was just about the owner's desires, but since then have been making this purpose a bigger part of how they operate. And he has some unexpected advice for owners of privately held businesses. Mike, thank you for joining us uh, today. Just to get us started, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and about your organization. Sure. So I've been in business for uh, far more years than I'd like to count now. Um, I've been a chief exec since 2004. Uh, worked in several different organizations as chief exec. I've also operated on boards as non-exec and as chairman as well. And in my latest business, I am both chairman and chief exec. I work for an organization called Stilts Homelifts. Stilts Homelifts make uh, what is best described as a domestic shaftless elevator. It's an elevator that will fit in your home very easily in a very small space and allow you to continue to get uh, the use of all floors in your house rather than just one floor as you either start to get older or you're disabled. Or indeed, it's a luxury item for people who want to carry stuff upstairs in the lift as well. Business was founded uh, 11 years ago next week, actually, and we've got our 10 plus 1 birthday party because we couldn't do a 10th birthday party uh, last year. And the business has grown from uh, when I first got involved with the business back in 2011, 2012, three employees uh, today to close to probably 400 employees. So we've been on a rapid rate of growth over a period of time. And those people are spread between a manufacturing facility in China, the UK, and uh, our USA sales organization as well. What's the business balance between UK and US? So UK is about 180 people. US is about 30 people. There's a big difference, though, that in the UK, we do the installations ourselves for consumers, whereas in the US, we're selling through a distribution channel. So uh, our dealers do the installation. Good. Um, so just to get sort of straight into it, what would you say the purpose of stilts is? So um, I've been wrestling with this for some time since uh, since we had the conversation and trying to balance mission versus purpose versus vision versus strategy. I, I, I think ultimately we're a very commercial organization. So uh, the directors are the main shareholders in the business. So there's seven directors that own the business. And then we've got one corporate shareholder as well and an individual. Um, 
but the majority is with the directors. And so actually the, the purpose of the business is to fulfill the goals of the shareholders in my view. And our purpose is fun, financial and freedom. And these were three goals we set ourselves going back probably to 2017 when the shareholding structure changed and I became full-time chief exec of the business. Up until that point, I'd be non-exec chairman. Mm-hmm. And those three around fun, financial, freedom, are they, in your thinking, limited just to the shareholders? Or is that sort of a mantra that you'd like everybody involved to to sort of also get a taste of? A little bit of both, if I'm honest. So it was set out very definitely originally for the shareholder director group. So it's very much about us. But as you start to try and deliver that for yourselves, then clearly you've got to deliver some of that for everybody else. So if we're going to have fun, everybody else has to have fun right as well. And whether we deliver that all the time, I'm not sure. But And then in financial terms, we share 20% of our incremental profit with the team as well. So uh, we pay a bonus based on the growth of the business and how well we're doing. And we try to be flexible as well in terms of how we deal with our employees and time off and that sort of stuff. But are we state of the art or new world corporate with that? Probably not quite. Um, We're relatively traditional, I suspect. We haven't as yet shared those three Fs, as we call them, with the team. So it tends to be something that we keep with the directors. And we have a mission statement then we share with the team, which is democratizing homeless. So really short to the point mission statement, which is the thing that we then hang the strategy off to explain that to everybody else in the business. How'd you get to the purpose? These three Fs. Okay. So yeah, we sat in a room for a day and we said, what do we want out of this? And what's our mission going to be? And what's our strategy going to be? And we literally did a whole set of corporate values, mission, purpose, everything in a day, sat in a room and just thrashed it out in 2017 when the when we'd done a buyout of three of the four founders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And has much of that shifted in the, what's it been now, about four years? Not a lot, to be honest. And we're still on our, our main goal, which is trying to get as many homeless as we can into as many countries as possible in as short a possible time. So I guess that's where the democratizing homeless bit comes. We want this to be seen as a normal product people have in their homes, not just a disabled or an elderly product. And we're trying to make it look like it's... Um, it's something that you'd want as a piece of furniture in your home and something that's part of your home rather than traditionally where the elevator market has been. It's either hidden in a shaft, uh, which makes it very difficult then to find the space to fit one, or uh, it looks like a piece of agricultural equipment somebody's put in the corner of somebody's room, which obviously is not desirable either. To feed that back in my own words, what I kind of hear you're aiming for is almost a, a moment when if you came into someone's house and they didn't have a lift, you'd sort of be thinking... Why don't they have a lift? Where's the lift? It must be around here somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's our utopia. And and I'd like to run a side campaign of making bungalows illegal, but I'm not sure I'm going to win that one. <laughs> so so in some senses, I guess maybe because it's, you know, you can get all the owners together in a room pretty easily. Some of that was fairly straightforward to get to. Have, have you ever found that there's been a, a bit of tension between the mission and the purpose? I think in some ways they're disconnected almost. And I guess if you were looking at that in a purely theoretical and business textbook point of view, that that would seem absolutely crazy. Why would you have a 
a purpose that's separated from your mission. But actually, what one is about personal aspiration and the other one is about how you bring that personal aspiration to life. So I, I guess they're connected because of the fact that you're trying to use one to get to the other. But actually, the mission and the strategies don't rely on the personal aspiration stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense that that mission might lead to sort of some bigger, the world being a better place because you guys are around? Yeah. Sure. And and we always have that really clearly in mind. When we sell a product to somebody, generally at the moment, it's because they can't get upstairs themselves. They rely heavily on that product. So if you're going to democratize homeless, it's not just about having a fantastic product that works. It's about making sure that the service behind that and the backup behind that is there as well. So if this thing stops working, you've got to be there really quickly to make sure it's fixed because somebody's then relying on your equipment so the democratization of it is not just about having fantastic products, but it's having fantastic infrastructure and service behind that to look after the consumer after the sale's been made. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that, that you've gone into the U.S. since you guys took it over, but was there a U.S. presence already? So the U.S. presence has actually been there since 2014. Of the seven directors that we have, one lives in the U.S., one lives in China, and the other five of us are U.K.-based. So... We had that presence from 2014, very, very early on in the company's history. Um, And our globalization has been there almost since day one because the founders, there's four founders, four Australians, two went to China to to figure out how to make it. Two came to the UK to figure out how to sell it. So that's how the business started. So we've always been on different continents since a word go. So actually... That was almost there and it was almost a given that we're going to go and sell not just in the UK, but into into other countries around Europe, obviously in North America, but also um, everywhere around the world. So we sell in Africa, we sell units in India, we sell regularly to the Philippines, New Zealand, Australia, as well as uh, UK and US and, and Western Europe. I assume you sell through distributors then in those other markets. We do, yes. Yeah. Is it sort of... Long term, that's your plan. Sure. So you're then cutting across into strategy then. So we currently have five strategies. And, and as we speak, we're, we're halfway through going through a review of, of mission and strategies and tactics and how we bring this much bigger organization now up to date and make sure that everybody is informed about what we are trying to do. So one of the strategies is getting close to the consumer. So in a previous life in this market, we relied on dealers to go find the consumer. In this life, what we want to do is we want to more own that consumer in terms of digital marketing spend, off-the-page advertising, tea advertising, to bring the consumer in and then help the dealer then make the sale to the consumer. So the dealer then is dependent on us to find the consumers and they become experts in converting the sale in the home and getting the installation done and looking after it. Uh, and trying to scale when you're doing all the installs yourself is almost impossible. So hence the reason why we're looking for dealers around the world who already have installation capability. And we're piggybacking off the back of that with a great product range and offering them a new profit stream, which they don't necessarily have already. Mm. I may be wrong, but I've kind of got that what you guys do is pretty unique, that there's not a lot of people who have this shaftless home lift. So what are these distributors doing with the rest of their time. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that so that's interesting. So I, I guess if you look at the North American continent, 
you have a domestic elevator market as you do in Australasia, a lot less in the UK because we have smaller footprints of, of homes. And, and it also in, in Western Europe, you tend to have smaller footprints of homes. So, so you have on the one hand, the domestic elevator market and I have on the other hand, the stale market. And so I guess what we're doing is we're driving a wedge between those two markets to say, hey, you don't have to have that need driven disability product. And you don't have to go to the expense of a domestic elevator and the space utilization of a domestic elevator. Here's a solution in the middle. So there are some traditional uh, manufacturers in the UK. So there's three manufacturers in the UK who make what they traditionally called through the floor lifts. They've now started calling them home lifts. So home lifts is a new term. We, we invented it. So they're now calling them homeless, but, but they tend to be social services driven market rather than private driven market. So social services have a need to get people up and down stairs. So their products tend to be more agricultural looking. I'm going to upset them now, aren't I? Tend to be more agricultural looking where ours are more beautiful and ours don't require a supporting roll wall to be up against. They can, they can free float in the middle of a room if you needed to do that on a staircase void. So we've sort of reinvented a, a category that sort of existed, rebranded it, rebadged it, beautified it and, and made it more capable. So to your distributors tend to be, they're kind of in this lifts market, elevator market already, and you're an additional solution for them. Yeah, that's right. Exactly that. So we're, we're giving them a new business stream, a new opportunity to, to sell something that they previously haven't had in quite this guise. And there's been stuff around, which is almost there, but this is just, in our view, a, a different category and a different product range than they've been used to before. If you don't mind, let me let me reel back a little bit. You said you were sort of in the middle of redoing it. Um, if I've got it right, the first strategy, it was you and a few people in a room and you bashed it out in a day. How's it going for this second one? Because as you said, it's a much bigger organization now. Sure. So, so the starting point, again, is conversation with directors. Here's what we said before. Here's my, maybe where, where we want to go now and what we want to change or tweak or adjust. The only thing that we're setting in stone right now is that we're going to keep the mission statement as being democratizing home lifts. And we're comfortable with our shareholder purpose, if you like, in terms of fund, freedom and financial. We've got a management meeting next Wednesday, actually, with the UK management team. So we're going to remind them of what we had before. And I think some of the stuff we had before was too complicated. So, so the first thing they don't know yet, they're going to get a quiz on corporate values, all of the different stuff that we've got handles on. And I'm imagining the recall of that is going to be really low. And so what we're trying to do is simplify everything. So we've got uh, very few things to hang the whole of what we're doing on so that there's a much better chance that if the management team can remember it, that everybody else in the organization can. So that's where the UK management team will do the same with the US management team um, when I can manage to travel to the US and do that face to face with them. And then we'll take the feedback from that and put it into um, a new set of strategies, represent it back and say, do we all get this? Are we all happy? Mm -hmm. It's kind of inclusive in the sense that you're reaching out to to get some feedback and ideas on it. Yeah, I, I still think probably in reality, it is probably going to be more top down driven rather than bottom up. How did you come to decide that was the way you were going to take your strategy forward when you were going to do the next iteration of developing it? Okay, so we set ourselves a financial goal of getting to 50 million turnover about four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we've just gone absolutely blasting through that. So we decided we needed to think oh, again at that point. Very good, yeah. very good. 
So that's the main reason is we've got to a financial target and a size. I always knew that when you get to 50 million, having grown a business, you know, from about five to 50 before, I knew that the whole thing changes a little bit as you, you start to get above, you know, two, 300 employees. It, it, it's all gets a bit more entertaining in terms of having to be clear about what you're doing and having to get decisions made further down the organization and get, get, and I hate the word empowerment, but I can't find any better way of describing that. And if you're going to get that, then you have to get more buy into what you're trying to achieve as well. So, so that's, that's the reason for now. And so um, we think we can get this 150 million in the next five years. So the question is, okay, guys, there's your financial target. His, his, our purpose as director. So we're going to share that this time. And then here's a mission statement. What are the strategies? How do we develop that? And how do we get the strategies into departmental tactics or what a department would see as their strategy, I guess? And how do you each own that? And then how do we measure it? So what are the key KPIs at the top of the tree? And what's the KPIs for the managers and what's KPIs for the individual staff? So everybody in the organization should have a KPI they're managed on, right? Because you don't know what success is otherwise. So we're trying to just get that whole mm-hmm. cascade mm-hmm. of this is what we want to achieve overall. What does each individual have to do in order to build back up to actually achieve that? Mm-hmm. In all of that, both both the kind of first round of it when it was just a small group of you in the room and the piece you're in the middle of now, anything in there you're particularly proud of that you think, well, we really did a great job of that? I guess the result speaks for itself, right? So, so have we managed to do our purpose in the four years since we did the management buyout? Yeah, absolutely. The directors all have more freedom than they had then. They were working very, very hard at that time, still working very hard now. But could they take some time off now and go and do what they want to do a bit more? Yeah, they can because we've got a great management team who support us. Have we, have we got the financial bit right? Yeah, I think we've achieved all the financial goals that the directors had at the time in terms of income streams. Could we have a bit more fun? I think probably we could have a bit more fun along the way through. And that's the one area where maybe we haven't delivered quite as much because it's all been quite intense. When you've got that sort of growth going on, it can be difficult at times. That's good because we're proud that we've achieved that. All the way through this as well, we've been developing our reward structures for the individuals within the business, our employees. And so the bonus structures are good now and it's very clear and very obvious and very open. And we share every quarter. We have a a team brief that we do to everybody in the organization and we tell them how we're doing. We tell them the financial results. So as a private organization, all our financial results are very transparent with employees. We talk about our quality measures and whether we're hitting our quality measures and service measures. We go through health and safety and how we're doing with health and safety and take any feedback. And I do this personally face-to-face, except for the COVID challenge. I do this personally face-to-face with a number of small groups across the organization, both in the UK and in the US, every quarter. During COVID, it was by video. So um, we're getting back to that. First First one is in November. We're actually going to move to thirdly because uh, our bonus structure now is based on um, third profits. And, and why thirds? Well, because we're a bit quirk and we like thirds. So, Just an observation that... that- I think many people might think, oh, it's a sort of small group of, you know, investor directors. They're going to be very secretive about what they're up to. You haven't used the word, but it does seem to me like you're very open about what you're doing, what you're trying to do and how it's going. Was that a conscious choice or that's just the way you operate? How do all that fit together? 
Yeah, no, it, absolutely, absolutely conscious choice. And the fact that we share our P&L with every employee in the business is if you're trying to explain to somebody why you're making a decision you're making and you're doing it in the context of them not being fully aware of the information that you're making that decision on, then that is very, very difficult. People will tend to think their boss is madder than they actually are if they actually have the information their boss has when they make the decision. I remember when I was lower down organization, you look up and think, why the hell did they do that? What were they thinking when they made that decision? And because we're open about it and we allow them to challenge us and ask us about what's going on, then it gives them more informed view. Can they all use that information to change what they do in their jobs? No, absolutely not. But the fact that we're telling them how we're doing is good. And also when you're doing well, it's a lot easier to share good news. I've, I've done this before in a previous organization where it wasn't always good news, but you still have to share it even when you're not doing quite as well as you thought. It's a good discipline. It makes you accountable to the team as well because uh, I'm sat here in a shareholder group and I, I don't have a boss, right? I'm chairman and CEO. So um, so you, you have to be accountable to yourself and to others. And, and clearly the directors hold me accountable. Sure, sure, absolutely. Anything in there you found difficult, either personally or as an organization? I think the only thing we found difficult is coping with the growth, actually. So when you're growing quickly, how do you ramp up manufacturing? How do you hire new people to do the installations in the UK? How do you find the right dealers around the world uh, in order to sell your product in the right way? So it, it's the challenges of scaling rather than the challenges of doing the strategy. Because I think if you know what you're about and you know where you want to get to, actually the rest of it just falls into place quite naturally. So business is applied common sense, right? And there's three things that matter in business. It's your product offering to the market. It's the people that you employ and it's the processes which you have in the business which allow them to do their jobs as simply and easily as possible. So if you can get product, process and people and you just focus on those three things, then guess what? It really is just obvious the decision you should make. It just falls out of what you've set yourself up to do. Yeah. If you had any advice for other business leaders, particularly maybe ones that you know are perhaps not as clear yet anyway on what their purpose is, what their mission is, would you have any advice? So I guess the only advice I can give to is people who run and own their own businesses because having listened to several of the podcasts that you've already put out there, they're quite often stakeholder organizations that you've been talking to or organizations with very diverse shareholdings. So that's a whole different heap of beans to you running your own business, right? So the advice I would give to somebody in, in our situation, because I couldn't advise them because I've never done what they've done. And I think, I, you know, stakeholder management, having worked with trade association stuff is, is highly challenging at times and when, when you're not fully in control of your own destiny. But, but where you are, I think the advice I'd give you is be as disciplined as those people who have to do this when you're actually doing it for yourself, because it's so easy to convince yourself that you don't have to do those processes, you don't have to have corporate values and all this stuff. But I think that you lose a lot by not sitting down and examining what it is you're about and having that mission at least, even if not a purpose, but at least a mission and having the strategies which come from that mission and then being able to have some corporate values in the way we're gonna go about doing this. That structured approach of doing that makes you stop and really think about how you're running your business. If you're serious about scaling it and getting it big, if you don't have all that stuff around you and the context to which to hold yourself accountable and for everybody else to hold you accountable, 
then it's going to be more difficult to get the clarity of thought process to actually deliver on a day-to-day basis, I believe. That sounds like great advice. You used a word a little while ago and you sort of said, well, you didn't have a better word for it. I don't have a better word for it. Uh, but I just wonder if we could come back around on it. You talked about empowerment. And and how, mm. I mean, how do you, be, beyond being clear with people what you're expecting from them, is there anything else you need to do there? I'm not sure that we've done the most fantastic job of empowering our employees yet. And I think that's because we're an owner-managed business. So where it's owner-managed, employees tend to stop and look up and say, what do you want to do? So you have to work, I think, even harder at it because it's clear it's clear where the power lies. It's, it's with those directors and the directors don't change, right? Because they're owner directors. They tend to stay the same for quite some time. Whereas in other organizations, directors change and move on. And so uh, I think the employees probably feel potentially more empowered because they, they know sometimes more than their bosses know. Well, we've grown up with this business since it was tiny. So we know how every little bit of the business works between us. So that then makes it a, a bigger challenge, I think, to get people empowered. And I think ultimately it's about being clear with them the success factor for their job and saying you can make any decision you like as long as it's moving you towards a success factor for your job. And that's what I'm trying to do in the next round is to say these are the success factors for your job. Maybe one, it may be two, three at most. This is what means you succeeded. Whatever you do, you can make any decision you like in order to achieve that success factor. So off you go. It's yours. If you're asking me, then I don't know your job as well as you do. So you should be able to make that decision. We've tried to do that. I'm not sure we've been fantastically successful yet. I like the word yet in that sentence. Um, <laughs> through all this, what's the impact been on you personally? What have you learned along the way? So I've been doing this for a while now. So I've been through scaling an organization before. And I guess the learning the first time has made doing it this time a lot easier than last time. And because of the sale price of this business, the unit volumes have been a lot lower. So the stress in terms of managing it has been a lot less than it was the first time around. And the joy has been for me not having a boss to report to. And I think that makes me a control freak, Belden. But you grow and learn by the fact that you can succeed again. You've done it again. And you've done it slightly differently this time because because of what you did learn last time. So so I guess I've proved to myself that I'm not a one-trick pony, that I've, I've proved to myself that I've done it again. Um, and I've done it again differently this time than I did last time, and with a different management style. So that's been really interesting. Hmm. Um, and how would, you, how would you describe that shift in management style? Yeah, so I think previously when I was running the business, I was very much assertive in the way you put stuff in meetings. Whereas here, I feel I've been a lot more consultative about the way that I've done it. I'm not sure that having the last round of management meetings we had yesterday, the team would say that, to be honest, because we we had some some fairly hard conversations at at times yesterday. Um, But I, I feel like I'm letting people get on and do their jobs more and not trying to do their jobs for them as much this time, which gives the organization capacity to grow, right? Because then people can actually get on and do that. Was that a conscious decision? Was it sort of, okay, great, I'm going to start this new thing and you thought about how you wanted to do it? Yeah, so a, a little bit conscious and a little bit um, that this was less my baby than the other one was. So, so when I first got involved, it was a non-exec with four founders. 
And so I was helping and advising them. So it was much more consultative during the early years. And I guess you you tend to get into a, a mindset of continuing that on. Mm-hmm. And so I guess overall, it's because of the way I got into it rather than uh, the previous time, which was a management buyout. And it was like hit the deck running, command and control because the business was in all sorts of trouble early on. And that changes the way that you then continue after that. So I, I think you tend to react to, in terms of the way you've been re- introduced to the organization, how you first started. Mm, I'm sort of reading in what you've said that you feel it's going better with this different style, or is that not the case? That you kind of wish, I wish I could come back in and just assert control. So it's going better in the sense that I am older now and don't want to spend the same hours I used to. And if you're going to have a very command and control style, you need to be there every minute of every day, checking on everybody, doing everything, right? So as we move through the the other business story, it, it probably you couldn't keep control of everything because that got to about 50 million as well. So you can't keep control of everything at that point when you've got 400 employees. So you have to start to let go and empower people. And that's where I learned to put them, the structures in place and the vision and strategy and all that sort of stuff because you had to empower other people to get on and, and do that. Um, this time, I felt like I've been more like that always, trying to get people to go off and do the jobs more so than than I did to start with. So do I feel it's going better? I feel I feel it's a lot easier this time, but that might just be because I've done it before. Great. It's a great note to end on. Mike, again, let me thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your, your sharing your journey and your advice. Thank you very much. Thanks, Belden. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist. <laughs>